Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. This week, Pastor Stephen Perumala's sermon is titled, Marks of Great Faith. And now, Pastor Perumala. Before I get into my message this morning, um, I do want to say a couple remarks concerning the coronavirus that I felt like and led to talk about. I just wanted to say a few remarks. Um, I understand there's a level of fear and worry upon many of us as we hear about people right here in New York City that have contracted the coronavirus and are being quarantined, and we hear all the stories of how quickly it spreads and all of those things. There's actually a lady in my apartment building that's walking around with a painter's mask and uh, gloves everywhere and telling everybody they need to stock up on food because of the Spirit's telling her the famine's coming. So we've got that kind of stuff going around as well. But I also understand that we've been through viruses before. We've been through the Zika virus. We've been through swine flu, just to name off a couple. And I think anytime anything happens in our world that brings fear, panic, uncertainty, or major concern, as believers, we need to look to the Word of God. We don't look to the news networks. We don't look to culture. We don't look to other people. We look to the Word of God because the Word of God is our strength. And the Word of God should be our go-to when dealing with these types of things. So I want to read to us Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. And it says this, Don't worry about anything. Right there. Don't worry about anything. Instead, instead of worrying, pray about everything. Instead of reading the news and freaking out, pray. Pray is what Scripture tells us. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. And after you do that, then you will experience God's peace. But if you're not doing that, you're not going to experience God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So my pastoral advice to everyone concerning the coronavirus is this. Pray like it totally depends on God, but take precautions like it totally depends on you. I think that is wisdom right there. There are some people that believe that this virus is a complete fabrication by mainstream media and to instill fear and panic in all of us. It is my opinion and just my opinion, that this is an unwise position to take. There are others who feel like this is the beginning of the apocalypse and that we are all doomed. I also believe that taking this opinion is an unwise position to take. If we'll pray like it depends on God and take precautions like it depends on us, this too will pass and we will be able to get through this. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the title of my message today is Marks of Great Faith. Marks of Great Faith. I was at a church planting conference this week with church planters from around the country, heroes of the faith, many men and women who sacrificed so much to plant a life-giving church in a specific community and context that God has called them to. And during the conference, they posed a question to each one of us at the conference and The question was this, 
What is your one more? What is your one more? And they challenged all of these church planters in the room. Is God calling you to plant one more church? Is God calling you to start one more service? Is God challenging you to have one more conversation with a lost friend? Is he asking you to pray one more time? Is he asking you to show up one more time to church and preach the gospel one more Sunday? And I would like to pose that question to you today. What is your one more? Some of you need to get up, and that's what you did today. Some of you needed to get up one more time and pray and then come to church because you're going through so much in your life right now that you feel like quitting on God, quitting on the church, and just completely giving up. Some of you need to reach out one more time to a lost friend or family member and share your faith with them and share the love of Christ with them. Some of you need to flee temptation one more time. You've been fleeing it, but you feel like the temptation's getting strong. That lady that's not my wife is looking prettier and prettier every day. <laughs> not me, no. Never. I only look at my wife. No other women. That website as I'm scrolling late at night that I should not be looking at is getting way more enticing to me. Whatever your temptation is, maybe your one more is you need to flee that temptation one more time. Amen? Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter number 7. We're going to be starting with verse number 2. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse number eight. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when he heard this, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. I want to preach to you this morning a very simple message on faith. There was a centurion who had a slave who was very sick. In fact, this person was so sick that they were on their deathbed. They were on the verge of death. And a centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a division of a hundred other Roman soldiers. Hence the name centurion. He was a leader of leaders, a very respected man who had great authority. The slave who was sick was valuable to the centurion, is what the text tells us. 
And the text goes on to say that the slave was highly regarded by the centurion, which was not normal. You would not consider your slave, your servant, valuable, but for some reason, this servant was considered valuable to the centurion. We're not told why the slave was highly regarded by his master, but maybe the slave oversaw the affairs of the centurion's household. He or she probably had great responsibility, therefore was greatly valuable to the centurion. This story, though, highlights the faith of the centurion. This Gentile's faith caused our Lord and Savior to marvel. Think about that for a moment. That the faith of this centurion caused the Lord Jesus Christ to marvel at his faith. The great faith that this man displayed caused Jesus to stop in his tracks in amazement. Jesus said, in all Israel, I have not found this great a faith anywhere. I've been walking around, I've been ministering, I've been going from village to village, but nowhere in Israel have I seen faith as great as this man right here. What were the marks of the great faith that this centurion soldier had. What was it about this man's faith that had our Lord marveling? When I read a verse like this, it makes me want to study it and live it out in my own life. How cool would it be for you and I to walk in such great faith that our Lord would stand in heaven because he was amazed at how much faith we exhibited in a situation or a circumstance in our lives. I would like to share with you two marks of great faith found in this passage. Number one, the first mark of great faith that I found in this little story here is this. Knowing your worth. That is a mark of great faith. Knowing your worth. The centurion clearly understood his worth in comparison to Jesus. He understood that he was not even worthy enough for Jesus to come to his home. Even though he was a mighty soldier with great authority, he understood his worth. And according to Luke, the writer of this gospel, he didn't even feel worthy enough to go to Jesus to ask him in person to heal his servant. And that is why he sent intermediaries to go ask Jesus for this request. And it's interesting that when the Jewish elders came to Jesus on behalf of the centurion, and asked him if he would come to the centurion's home to heal his slave, they came with a list of achievements and reasons as to why this centurion soldier was deserving of Jesus to go heal this servant. Verse 4 tells us that they earnestly implored him, meaning they asked Jesus, and they kept on asking Jesus. They didn't stop. They said, Jesus, this centurion is worthy of you granting his request Because he loves Israel. Jesus, he loves our country. He loves this nation. And so because of that, he is deserving of you to go and heal his slave. Remember, he was a Roman soldier. And they were in power in Israel during that time. And they were very oppressive during this time. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this man is a patriot. Even though he's a Roman, he loves our nation. Let me go on a little rabbit trail for a moment, if you'll allow me to. There are some Christians in our nation who equate patriotism with devotion to God. 
Just so we're clear, those two things are mutually exclusive, not connected. You can love your country and love Jesus, but just because you love your country doesn't mean you love Jesus. Those two things are not equal. Those two things are completely different. Just because you love your country doesn't mean you love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your country is not a characteristic of discipleship. Loving Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength is a characteristic of discipleship. Just because you're loyal to this country doesn't necessarily mean your loyalty lies with Jesus. And there's some believers here in our country that mix up the two of those things and they cause all sorts of problems and issues. They also said that the centurion deserved to have his request answered because he built the Jews a synagogue. He built the Jews a place of worship. So they said, this guy, he's a good guy. He loves our country. Not only that, he built us a house of worship so that we could come and worship. There was this thing going on here. The centurion is a really, really good person. So Jesus, you should grant him this wish that his slave be healed. Do you see, do you pick up on this thing going on? Jesus, this man did this for us. So I think it would be a really, 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 really good idea that you do this for him. Don't you see his merits? He's earned it. He's earned it. Isn't this how many of us feel towards God internally? We have this feeling of entitlement towards God. We have this feeling that because of what we've gone through, or because of what we're doing, we've earned God doing something for us, coming through for us, answering our prayer. We feel like we're entitled to it. We feel like we deserve it. God, I went to church at least once a month last year. That's more than most people. I deserve for you to come through in my life. God, I'm pretty consistent with my prayer life, at least when I need something. God, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I didn't kill anybody. I, haven't, I, I, I try to be kind. I give to charity. I drop a dollar every once in a while in a cup in front of the homeless person at the train station. I try to be a good person. I serve at church. God, I deserve for you to heal me. I deserve a financial breakthrough. I deserve for me to get deliverance in this area. God, don't you see everything that I'm doing? God, I deserve to, for you to provide that promotion to me. God, I deserve that husband. God, I deserve that wife. Don't you see all of the things I'm doing for you? And based on our merits, we then expect God to answer our prayers in the exact way we want, in the timing that we want. What we're doing is replacing our faith with a list of reasons as to why we are worthy of receiving from God what we want from Him. We are attempting to earn answered prayers through our good works and through our merits. And that is not how to get answer to prayer. That is not what faith really is. A mark of great faith is knowing that we don't deserve anything outside of punishment for our sins, yet knowing that we serve a God that nothing is impossible for. Amen? It's knowing that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God, as what the prophet Isaiah said. But we are children of a loving Father who is crazy about us. Our righteousness might be like filthy rags before God, but we serve a heavenly Father that deeply, deeply loves us and cherishes us.
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Why would Paul write this? Why would Paul feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this? Because we have a tendency to boast in our good works and take credit for things we didn't do. That's why Paul had to say, salvation is not about you. It's not about your good works. It's what Jesus did for you. And because of that kindness and goodness, we do good works. And we've been called to do good works. But it's not our good works that brings about salvation. Our merits and achievements and good deeds cannot inherit eternal life or answered prayers for us. It's only through faith alone that we receive the gift of salvation. And it is by faith that we experience the miraculous provision of Christ in our lives. Over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus said that in accordance with your faith, what you ask for will be received. In accordance with your faith, be healed. It also tells us where there was a lack of faith, there was a lack of miracles that took place. The centurion knew his worth, and because of that, Jesus said that he had not found such great faith anywhere in Israel like this man, like what's found in this man. Everybody say, know your worth. Now look at your neighbor without spitting, say, know your worth. Know your worth. If we feel in our hearts that we deserve the miracle or the answer to prayer based on our merits and achievements, who will we give glory to if we experience that miracle or breakthrough? We're going to give it to ourselves. We're going to say, because I did this, because I loved my country, because I built these people a, a place of worship, because I, I was faithful in my church attendance, because I was faithful to serve, all of these different things, God came through for me. And it's because of me. It's because of what I did. Listen to this, church. This is important. Sometimes God will bless you with less so that you will trust him more. Sometimes God will bless you with less so that you will trust him with more. The second mark of great faith is knowing where to place your faith. Knowing where to place your faith. Many non-believers say that they can't become a Christian because in order to become a Christian, you have to have faith. And faith is blindly following something without any evidence. Blindly just following something without any sort of evidence whatsoever. Richard Dawkins, the evolutionary biologist and outspoken atheist, said in his book, The God Delusion, Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Many believers, if you boil it down, believe the same thing about faith. But that is not a proper understanding of Christian faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is trusting something or someone that you have reason to believe is true. We have reason to believe that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago in Israel and that he walked around from village to village healing the sick, casting out demons, 
that he poured himself into 12 disciples, one of which betrayed him. And those disciples, after Jesus died and rose again, we have reason to believe that he rose again. Not only did the writers of the gospel give eyewitness testimony, but there is external evidence that talks about Jesus and talks about a resurrection. So we have reason to believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again, gave authority to the apostles, and those apostles established churches around the known world. We don't just blindly trust in Jesus. We have reason to believe what Scripture tells us. We have reason to believe that Scripture is accurate, that Scripture is trustworthy. We have reason to believe that. Amen? Faith is trusting something or someone that you have reason to believe is true. It is not just a blind belief in something. Let me try and illustrate it this way for us. Whenever we go on vacation, my wife researches hotels to stay at. She pours through ratings and customer reviews on Expedia.com and Hotel.com and all the other dot-coms. By the way, my wife is deathly afraid of dirty hotel rooms, and that is her motivation for doing this. There have been a few times where we've been moved from one room to another room because as soon as my wife walks into a hotel room, she makes a beeline for the bed, undoes the covers, looks through the pillows, and if she finds a hair, if she finds a suspicious stain, if she finds something that should not be there, or if she goes in, and then after the bed, she goes into the bathroom, if the tub is nasty or the toilet has clearly not been clean, or if there's trash in the trash can still, we'll change rooms. <laughs> but anyways, let's go back. Once she does the research online before we ever go to the hotel, she trusts and has faith in the hotel company to provide a nice, clean, hospitable stay. We don't just fly into the city or drive into the city that we're vacationing at, find the first hotel that we see, and then walk in, get a room, and expect a nice, comfortable, clean, hospitable stay. No, our faith in the hotel is rooted in evidence to believe based on our research. Faith is trusting in something you have reason to believe is true. And for followers of Jesus, our truth, is found in a person, the person Jesus Christ. The centurion never saw Jesus, but had faith and trust and confidence that Jesus could heal his servant. Faith means that seeing is not required for believing. I don't ever see the wind, but I can feel the wind. I can see the effects of wind. Okay, It's the same thing as faith. I haven't seen Jesus physically in person, but, he, but if he healed sick people in the Bible, I believe he can heal people today. If he caused blind eyes to be opened back then, I believe that he can cause blind eyes to be opened today. If he caused deaf ears to be opened back then, I believe that he can cause deaf ears to be opened today. If he encountered and performed miracles back then, then I believe that he can heal Raymond of his kidney issues, and he can heal Denise of her cancer issues, and he can heal you of whatever you are going through currently. If he saved people in the Gospels, he can save people today. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And it is impossible to please God without faith. 
Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The centurion placed his faith in Jesus. Verse 3 tells us, After he heard of Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to Jesus. He didn't just blindly trust Jesus. He heard about Jesus and what Jesus could do. Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. He had probably heard stories about Jesus healing other people. He may have even had conversations with people that had been healed by Jesus. He had some evidence that Jesus was able to heal the sick, so he inquired of him. God will meet you at the level of your expectation. God will meet you at the level of your expectation. Here's what I mean by that. If you don't believe that God performs miracles today, you probably won't see any. Because your expectation is low in that area. If you don't believe that God can heal someone who is sick or has a disease, you probably won't see God moving that way because your level of expectation is low when it comes to that. God will meet you at your level of expectation. John 14, 12 through 14 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If your expectation is founded in belief in what Scripture says, then I believe you will experience what Jesus said you will experience. Greater works than these you will do. And Jesus did some pretty great works, wouldn't you say? But he said, if you believe me and you believe in my word, if you believe in my teachings, you will do these works that I did in even greater works than these. Here's the deal. And this is something that so important for you to get today. Jesus doesn't just call us to observe his life. He calls us to his way of life. Did you get that? Did that sink in? Jesus doesn't just call you to observe his life and say, well, he was a pretty good man. He was a pretty good teacher. He was pretty influential. No, he calls us to his way of life. He said, you pick up your cross and follow me. He said, if you follow my teachings, you will be like a, a man that built his house upon a rock. And when the storms came, the house stood. Jesus didn't say, observe me in my way. He said, no, come follow me. Jesus isn't just interested in our orthodoxy, in our doctrine and theology. He is just as interested in our orthopraxy, meaning our practice of our doctrine and our practice of our theology. Amen? And Jesus experienced signs, wonders, and miracles throughout his life and ministry. He calls us to that way of life. He calls you and I to that same way of life. If Jesus is a way of life for us, then let's start praying for people who are hurting and who are sick and who are down and who are beaten up instead of just saying, hey, brother, I'll pray for you, or hey, sister, I'll pray for you. And then five seconds later, after you leave the conversation, you completely forget. Yeah. Yeah. If Jesus is a way of life, then as soon as someone says, I have a headache, 
I'm not feeling well today. I'm going through this. I'm going through depression right now. I am just overwhelmed with anxiety. As soon as they say that, why don't we lay hands on them and pray for them? Amen? Let's begin to up our level of expectation of what God can do through us. Because God will meet us at our level of expectation. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you will never be disappointed. Things may not always go our way, but we can trust that Jesus has our best interest at heart and that he will give us peace through disappointments. Even when things don't turn out the way we prayed or we expected, Jesus will give us peace through our disappointments. And a lot of times we realize that man's rejection is often what gets us in God's direction. When God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want it, oftentimes later on we'll realize, man, thank God he didn't answer that prayer because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if he answered my prayer over there. And this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Some people have this idea about faith that faith is only when you do something insanely adventurous, audacious, or even reckless without any real thought or wisdom involved and hoping that somehow everything will work out. I didn't plan anything. I, 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 didn't, I don't know how we're going to get from A to, to Z. We'll figure it out on our way. And then we feel like faith is just somehow it's just going to work out. Like, let me give you an example. Like, we think that real faith, great faith, is moving to another country to be a missionary with zero idea or strategy of how we're going to raise the funds to get there or how we're going to have funds to live there. It's like, wow, I'm just going to fly over there and figure it out. That is not faith. That is stupidity. Okay? <laughs> faith, on the other hand, is believing that God is going to provide through the funding strategies you have put in place and that he is, about, he is able to do above and beyond that. That when your limitation, when you come to your limitations, that God can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond that because God does not have limitations. But man, we can't just blindly say, I'm going to do this without any sort of planning strategy or, or anything like that. That's not what God calls us to. Amen? Our faith, this is also important, our faith is not placed in the adventure or that audacious thing God is calling us to step out in faith and do. Our faith cannot be placed in that thing. Our faith should be placed in Jesus that he is leading us by his spirit to do those things. And when our faith is placed in Christ alone, we can step out and do whatever it is that he is calling us to. Regardless of how challenging it is, regardless of how difficult it is, regardless of the obstacles in the way, when we put our faith in Christ alone, we can do anything he is calling us to do. When our faith is placed in Christ, we can have the faith to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and do it with excellence and a great attitude. When our faith is in Christ, we can get up tomorrow morning at your at y'all's dance school. You can get up one more morning, okay, and put in the work and do it with a great attitude. When you guys are having to do stretches at five in the morning, six in the morning, however you do it, when you're having to, to sing and you don't feel like singing, 
when you have to, when you are being stretched to your limits, you can have the faith to do it. Those of you that have kids, when your faith is in Christ, you can continue to train them in the way of Jesus even when they're driving you insane. Tara, when your faith is in Jesus, when your faith is in Jesus, you can get up one more day as a single mom with the power of God and the calling of God in her life. And you can train your children in the way that they should go. One more time, when our faith is in Christ, we can do those things. When our faith is placed in Christ and not somewhere out there somewhere, we can have faith to walk with Jesus in the here and now at work tomorrow, that we can have faith that he's going to work out that tense situation at work, or he's going to work out that relational issue that we're dealing with right now. He's going to work out all of those things, and I can have a great attitude, and I can do what I need to do with excellence because my faith is in Jesus. I've shared this with you dozens and dozens of times, but we moved to New York City a little over four and a half years ago. We sold everything while we were in Texas to move here to New York City you know, selling our home where we actually had a backyard, where we actually had space, where we could actually, the kids could actually run around, where we lived a block away from my wife's parents. So anytime we wanted childcare, we had it. We were around family. We were a part of a great church. We had a great position, all of those things. And giving all of those things up took great faith to answer the call but my faith isn't in my calling, or at least it shouldn't be. When my faith is placed in my calling, that's when I get into trouble. That's when I start playing the comparison game. That's when I start getting discouraged and depressed. But my faith isn't in my calling. My faith is in Jesus who called my family to move here to plant a church. And because my faith is in Him, when things don't go my way, when disappointments happen, when struggles happen, when my church doesn't grow at the pace that I thought it was going to grow, when things don't come through the way I thought they were going to come through, they don't absolutely crush me or devastate me. When all my friends are posting on Instagram that they had 353,000 people come to their 63,000 Easter services, and they had... <laughs> and they had 50,000 people saved and they baptized another 25,000. <laughs> and it's like Monday and Tuesday and they're still having services and people walked on water and they turned five loaves and two fish into enough to feed their 630,000 people. And I had however many we had last year. Or oh, we're going to have however many we're going to have this year. And two people got saved. I don't have to be crushed because I'm living my life. I'm running my race because my faith isn't in my calling. My faith is in Jesus who has called me. And in the same way, if Easter, 200 people show up and 50 people get saved and we baptize a few people, I don't have to be full of pride and arrogance and feeling like I did something. Because my faith is in Jesus, not in my calling. Going back to the text, because the centurion placed his faith in Jesus, not in the healing, not in his own merits, his slave was healed. When we place our faith in the healing, and I've seen this happen so many times, especially in 
you know, I'm, I, am, I am proud to be Pentecostal spirit-filled, but I've seen this in these circles so many times where people place their faith in the healing. When we place our faith in the healing, if it doesn't happen, if that miracle doesn't happen, if that breakthrough doesn't happen, we are completely crushed and devastated and feel like God doesn't love us for some reason. We can't put our faith in the miracle. We can't put our faith in the healing. We got to put our faith in Jesus. So whether that healing happens, whether that miracle happens or not, we trust Jesus. We're, we're confident in Jesus. Amen? Amen? The text tells us that Jesus marveled at the faith of this centurion and even said that he had not found this kind of faith anywhere. That word faith that Jesus used, it doesn't mean crazy, wild, audacious adventure. It doesn't mean recklessness. That word faith that Jesus used means complete trust and reliance. It means to have confidence in. That's what faith means. To have complete and utter confidence in Jesus. To have complete trust in Jesus. That's what it means. And when we have that foundation, we can do anything, regardless of how crazy, wild, exciting, difficult, challenging it is, we can do it because our trust is in Jesus and we know he's going to take care of us. The centurion's faith was in the absolute authority of Jesus and that is why he said in the text, I have people under my authority. I'm a man of authority and I have people under my authority and when I say jump, they say how high. So I understand authority. So Jesus, all you have to do is say the word and I know my servant's going to be healed. This centurion was speaking to the absolute authority Jesus had to heal his slave. Do you trust that Christ has absolute authority in your relationship status? Whenever you make your 15th profile of the latest dating website, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dating websites. I found my wife before those dating websites were created, so I didn't have to deal with that, but I don't have a problem with that. But as you're doing that, you got to ask yourself, do I believe in the absolute authority of Christ in this area of my life? Or are we trying to take things into our own hands? And are we trying to work it out and figure it out? Do you trust that Christ has absolute authority to heal your sick body? Do you believe that? Do you trust that Christ has absolute authority to take care of your tense situation at work? Or are we coming home every day just completely bogged down with anxiety, with fear, with heartburn? Uh, I mean, where we can't even give our energy to anybody else after work because we are just completely and utterly spent. And if we're being honest, the source of that is not in that situation. It's not in the stressful job. It's in the fact that maybe we don't believe in the absolute authority of Christ in that area of our lives. Jesus said, come to me, those of you who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. That's what Jesus said. Now, do we believe in the absolute authority of Christ to be able to give us rest? Jesus wasn't talking to people that were already at rest. Jesus wasn't talking to people that already had peace. He said, come to me. All of you who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. Maybe there's some of you in here today, you're weary, 
you're tired, you're emotionally tired, you're physically tired. Every moment that you have of downtime, if you have any, you're just like a zombie. Jesus wants to give you rest. But do you trust in the absolute authority of Christ in that area of your life? Especially in a city like ours, we move at a, such a fast pace. We're on to our next thing. We're on to our next achievement. We're on to conquering our next mountain. But Jesus wants to give our rest, give us rest, because in that process, we become tired and weary and worn out, and we become zombies. And we don't value the people that we really want to value because all of our energy and strength are going to things that at the end of the day aren't as important as the people in our lives that we love. So Jesus wants to give you rest. Do you trust that Christ has absolute authority in your future? In your future, because He does. He does. But you have to let Him in. You have to surrender and you have to let Him have that authority in your life. You have to give Him that stuff that's bogging you down, that's causing you to be weary and tired and He will exchange it for rest in your life. You must place your absolute trust and confidence in the authority of Christ that He will lead you and guide you and walk with you as you move forward in your life. So as we close today, our takeaway this morning is to stop replacing our faith with our own merits and our own feelings of entitlement and feelings of, we earned this, so God, you better give it to me or else. And put our trust in the absolute authority of Jesus. Yoke yourself to Him. Yoke yourself to Him. And as you do that, you will find rest. And you know, the funny thing is that imagery... A yoke was this thing you put over an oxen's neck and then you would attach it to another oxen and they would do the work together. So Jesus isn't saying stop the work. He's saying connect yourself to me as you work. And as you connect yourself to me in your work, you'll find that my burden is easy. That my yoke is light. That you won't be crushed under the pressure and the stress and the angst that you're currently being crushed under. But connect yourself to me and my teachings and my way of life. And I will lift the burden. I will lift the pressure. I will lift the anxiety. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.